Hey, hey guys, how are we today? Good, Good awesome. Thank you, uh, uh, Cameron and Lani, for your awesome uh, communion and uh, giving message. And also thank you to Travel and team for uh, great worship leading. Uh, before we start our uh, lesson, uh, we have some announcements. So this is for next week, next Sunday, okay? Uh, instead of a normal service here at Mount Hawthorne, we will be having a regional service. So Dip will be 2 p.m. at Kings Park. Uh, we have uh, the North will be 2 p.m. at Neil Hawkins Park in Jindalop. And then South will be at 12 p.m. at Loquay Rive Cafe in Wilson. <laughs> yeah. Ri oh, it's meant to say River Cafe, is it? Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Um, and one more announcement. Uh, Blair's dad isn't doing particularly well right now. He's facing a, a quite a challenging time, as is Blair. Uh, so be sure to pray for... Uh, pray for uh, blessed dad in his health, okay, and also maybe give our uh, blessed some encouraging words at some point as well, because it is tough, uh, you know, having those kind of circumstances. All right. So, First Samuel, chapter five. Now, if you guys remember last week, we had well, what Sam did on chapter four. It wasn't a bleak outlook. Uh, it was a bleak outlook. Sorry, it, it was not really good vibes. I mean, you have literally Eli's died, right? Eli's sons have died. Eli's daughter-in-law has died and they've lost the Ark of the Covenant. Not good vibes at all, right? All right? And literally, uh, Eli's daughter-in-law names her son Ichabod. Uh, Ichabod, sorry. <laughs> Ichabod. Uh, thank you, uh, Trevor. Right? Which means, you know, God has departed us. He's left us. This is this whole atmosphere of hopelessness. That's how chapter 4 ends. Right? But chapter 5 changes tone a little bit, right? Chapter, chapter 5, 6, 7 has a, a brief uh, insight of hope, right? There's a, a change of tides for the Israelites. And so we're going to be reading chapters 5 to 7, so it's a lot of reading. It's going to be a test of my ability, all right? So bear with me, okay? Uh, because there is a lot happening in here, all right? Because there's a lot of quantity, but also there's a lot of quality. There's a lot of key lessons that we can learn from these chapters. So chapter 5, verse 1. It says, after the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, they took it, to, took it from Ebenezer to Ashnod. Then they carried the Ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon, fallen on, his, fallen on his face on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. They took Dagon and put him in his place, but the head and hands had been broken off. Oh, sorry. But the following morning when they rose, there was Dagon, fallen on his face on the ground before the Ark of the Lord, his head and hands had been broken off and were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. That is why to this day, neither priests, neither the priests of Dagon nor any others who entered Dagon's temple at Ashdod step on the, th on the threshold. The Lord's hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod and its vicinity. He brought devastation on, the, on them and afflicted them with tumors. When the people of Ashdod saw what was happening, they said, the ark of the Lord of Israel must not stay here with us because his hand is heavy on us and on Dagon, our God. So they called together all the, all the rulers of the Philistines and asked them, what shall we do with the ark of the, God, ark of the God of Israel? They answered, have the ark of God of Israel moved to Gath. So they moved the ark of the, so they moved the, ark of the God of Israel. But after they moved it, the Lord's hand was against that city, throwing it into a great panic. He inflicted the people of, that, of the city, both young and old, with an outbreak of tumors. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. As the, as the ark of God was entering Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, they have brought the ark of God of Israel around to us to kill us and our people. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and said, send the ark of God of Israel away. Let it go back to its own place. For, 
So they called, oh, sorry, yep. For death had filled the city, oh, so let it go back to its own place, or it will kill us and our people. For death had filled the city of, uh, filled the city with panic. God's hand was heavy on it. Those who did not die were afflicted with tumors, and the outcry of the city went up to heaven. When the ark of the Lord had been in Philistine territory seven months, the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it back to its place. They answered, if you return the ark of the God, ark of, of God, of the God of Israel, do not send it back to him without a gift, but all means send a guilt offering to him. Then you will be healed and you will know why his hand has been lifted from you. The Philistines asked, what guilt offering should we send to him? They replied, five gold tumors and five gold rats, according to the number of the Philistine rulers, because the same plague has struck both you and your rulers. Make models of the tumors and of the rats that are destroying your country and give glory to Israel's God. Perhaps he will lift his hand from you and your gods and your land. Why do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians did and as Pharaoh did? When Israel's God dealt harshly with them, did they not send the Israelites out so they could go on their way? Now then, get a new cart ready with two cows and ha that have calved and, have them, and never, have never been yoked. Hitch the cows to the cart, but take the calves away and pen them up. Take the ark of the Lord and put it on the carts. And in a chest beside it, put the gold objects you are sending back to him as a guilt offering. Send, send it on, his, on its way. But keep watching it. If it goes up to its own territory, towards Beth Shemesh, then the Lord has brought this, this great disaster on us. But if it does not, then we will know that it was not his hand that struck us, but it happened to us by chance. So they did this. They took two such cows and hitched them to, hitched them to the car and penned up their calves. They placed the ark of the Lord on the cart, and along with it, the chest containing the gold rats and models of tumors. Then the cows went straight up towards Beth Shemesh, keeping on the road and lowering all the way. They did not turn to the right or to the left. The rulers of the Philistines followed them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting their wheat in the valley. And when they looked up and saw the ark, they rejoiced at the sight. The cart came to the field of Joshua at, uh, of Joshua of Beth Shemesh, and there stopped beside a large rock. The people chopped up the wood of, uh, of the cart and sacrificed the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord together with the chest containing the gold objects and placed them on the large rock. On, the day of the, on that day, the people of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices to the Lord. The five rulers of the Philistines saw all this and then returned the same day to Ekron. These these are the gold tumors of the Philistines sent as a guilt offering to the Lord. One each, of, each for Ashdod, Gaza, uh, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. And the number of the gold rats were according to the number of Philistine towns belonging to the five rulers, the fortified towns with their country villages. The large rock on which the Levites set the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. But God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death because they looked in, into the ark of the Lord. The people mourned of the heavy blow the Lord had dealt them. And the people of Beshemesh asked, who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? To whom will the ark go up from here? Then they sent messengers to the people of Kuriath, Jerem, probably said that wrong, saying the Philistines have returned the ark to the Lord. Come down and take it up to your town. So the men of Kuriath, Jerem, came and took up the ark of the Lord. They brought it to Abedah, Abinadad's house on the hill of the consecrated uh, Eleazar, his son, and, and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to guard the ark of the Lord. The ark remained in Kiriath-Jerim a long time, 20 years in all. 
Then all the people of Israel returned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of all the foreign gods and of the asterisks and commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away the bowers and asterisks and serve the Lord only. And then Samuel said, assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day, they fasted, and there they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard, heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. And when the Israelites heard of this, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb, sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to the point below beth Car. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He, he named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they stopped invading Israel's territory throughout Samuel's lifetime, and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The town from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had catch, captured from the Israel uh, were restored to Israel, and Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the hands of the Philistines, and there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. But he always went back to Ramah, where his home was. And there he held court for Israel and built an altar there to the Lord. <sighs> That's a lot of reading, I know, okay? There was heaps in there. Uh, let's have a quick prayer that unpacks what these scriptures are talking about, amen? Uh, Heavenly Father, yeah, I just want to pray that... Uh, well, first of all, thank you that we can gather here, Lord, and learn about your word, learn about who you are. And so I want to thank you for you know, the scriptures of Samuel 5 to 7, Lord. There's so much content, so much happening, Lord, uh, that you know, it's, it really has, does have the potential to be convicting for our lives. And I pray as we hear your words, Lord, and as I unpack it, that we can be convicted, that can translate practically into our lives and allow us to be closer to you, Lord. I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Sweet. So... Chapters 5 to 7. Now, three points, guys. Uh, really simple points. The first one is God is sovereign. The second one is that you can't fit God in your box. See what I did there? Because the Ark of the Covenant is a book. Okay. Okay. And the third one is Samuel succeeds where Eli fails. All right. So three very simple points. But let's unpack it and see where we are, what we can learn. So the first one, God is sovereign. Now, obviously, we know God as king, right? And we, we hear that phrasing often. Right? And that's how Israel viewed God as well. But towards the end of chapter 4, that's not how they were treating God, right? In fact, God's word had been quiet for a long time, as, as Sam explored in the previous sermon, right? But it was common practice whenever, whenever a enemy conquered, a, a, you know, whenever a nation conquered their enemies, that they would take remnants or like trophies, uh, spoils of war from that, from that victory back to their hometown. That's exactly what the Philistines do. The Philistines beat Israel. And they take the Ark of the Covenant as a trophy, as a testament to their victory, right? And we have to understand that for the Philistines, Israel and the God of Israel are interlinked. They're not separate. 
If they beat Israel in a battle, it means they beat God in a battle, right? And that's why we get this uh, a little, I guess, uh, a scuffle in the, in the temple of Dagon, because God does not respond well to Dagon, does he? Right? Dagon ends up face, face down on the floor before the Ark of the Covenant. And Dagon, if you don't know, is, is the God of, of the Philistines. God is humbling Dagon, right? God is putting Dagon in his place, right? And essentially what God is saying is, just because Israel is defeated, just because my people are flawed and are not victorious, right, it doesn't translate to me, right? This is his people, but God is indeed separate. God doesn't have the failures and flaws that his people and that we have as well, which is, you know, tremendous news, right, for us. Because we, we can be like Israel in chapter 4, and Sam Sam explored it last week, where we can be in a scenario where it feels hopeless. There's nothing to gain, right? There's no future for us. It's like God has forsaken us. We can have those feelings. Right? But what God is demonstrating here is even if we are in that situation, he is not. Even when we are feeling like that, God is victorious. God keeps on pressing forward. Yeah? I do find it interesting how, I do find it interesting how he goes down twice. Dagon, I mean. Right? The first time he falls down, it's, you know, he's intact. He's doing well. Right? But the second time he falls, it's, it's not so good, is it? Right? And I, I do feel like there's a reason for this. Right? The second time he comes down, he's actually dismembered. His limbs are on the, uh, the threshold of the temple, which is interesting. Why, why is God doing this? What's the point of God bringing Dagon down twice, right? I feel like it does demonstrate the character of God to some degree. Dagon, in the minds of the Philistines, is above God. So God humbles Dagon. He brings Dagon down to the floor. But Dagon goes back up to his place. He goes up to his elevated, lofty place above God. The second time God brings him down. It's a little bit different, isn't it? The interesting point is like, once Dagon comes down the second time, he can't go back up again. There is, there is no going back up for Dagon. Right? He's literally being humbled to the point where he cannot go up anymore. And it, it, it does make me think of this, uh, the passage in James 4. It says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Yeah? It's almost like, be humble or be humbled. That's kind of what's happening here, right? And I mean, if you've been a Christian long enough, you, you probably, that probably has a lot more meaning to you, okay? Be humble, be humble, because the, pride, the prideful will be humbled, yeah? And it's not always a pleasant experience, as Dagon finds out. And the theme of place is huge in this text, right? Especially in chapter 5. I mean, you get it multiple times in, in, in verse 3. Uh, it says they took... They took Dagon and put him back in his place after he fell down the first time. Uh, in verse 8, uh, they moved the Ark of the Covenant. I, I mean, the Philistines are doing this heaps, right? They move it to different places, different cities. Maybe that will do the trick. Maybe, you know, maybe that will stop all these plagues happening. Uh, and then in verse 10, it says it. Uh, in verse 11, let it go back to its own place. And in, in, in chapter 6, verse 2, it says, tell us how we should send it back to its place. Yeah, so place is a huge theme for chapters 5 and 6. Right? And it's to demonstrate... The point that for the Philistines, even the Israelites later on in the chapter, their mindset is that we're going to put the Ark of the Covenant in its place, right? Physically. But God and Dagon, I mean, God, God's view of place is a little bit different. 
God, God views it as a spiritual hierarchy, yeah? And Dagon is placed in a place which is above him. So God, God has this, this, uh, this attitude, I'm going to put you in your place. I'm going to put you where you need to be, yeah? So which is, which is you know, a, a, a huge theme throughout the, the entire chapter, yeah? But you have to understand that God's place has to be above our place. Yeah, if we are like Dagon, if we put ourselves above, Dag- uh, above God, right, it has, all, it has such a detrimental effect on our lives. Right? There's, there's a setup of God above us, and that's something we need to remember. Right? It does remind me of uh, in, uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, book, Mere Christianity. If you haven't read it, it's a really good read. Uh, but it does say here, uh, it will be too late. And it's, it's, it's referring to like, the end of time. You know, God coming back and judgment happening, right? It says, it will be too late then to choose your side. There's no use saying you choose to lie down when it becomes impossible to stand up. That, you would, that would not be the time for choosing. It will be the time when we discover which side we really have chosen, whether we realized it or not. Yeah? God gives us opportunity to be humble, right? To fall, prostrate on the floor, to worship him, right? But it gets to a point where that opportunity runs out, right? And eventually you'll be on the floor before God, whether you like it or not, right? But there will be no standing up at that point. There will be no choosing, just like Dagon. Amen? So, my second point, you can't fit God in your box, right? You can't fit God in your box. And like Cameron mentioned earlier, we've been looking at the study series of God being incomprehensible, uh, during midweeks, right? It's a, it's a book by Jen Wilkins, uh, which has been, you know, really eye-opening because we have a habit of humans, and Wilkins explores this, we have a habit of humans of comprehending stuff we don't really understand, yeah? We, we put stuff in the boundaries of our, our, our limited minds so that we can have a sense of control, that we can control it. We do it with each other, but we also do it with God, Right? And it says here in verse 19 of chapter 6, but God struck down some of the, of, some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death because they looked into the ark of the Lord. The people mourned because of the heavy blow the Lord had dealt them. And the people of Beth Shemesh asked, who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? To him, whom will the ark go up from here? And this is a challenging scripture, right? God kills 70 people for being curious, <laughs> for looking into his ark, right? I mean, on top of that, I mean, he's just inflicted on the Philistia all kinds of plagues, tumors. Like, this is challenging for us to grasp. How can God, and you heard this a lot from all, all types of people, how can a good God allow this kind of suffering, <laughs> right? Especially when we look in, what, chapters two and three, and we, we learn about Eli and his sons. For generations, they are corrupt and evil, and God is... Silence. He allows it to happen. And then in an instant, 70 people killed. Right? That's, that's challenging for us to grasp. Right? It, it doesn't make sense to us. Right? But we have to understand God is beyond us in that sense. Oops. Go back. Yes. So, yeah. What was I? Goodness. And Israel and... Uh, Israel and... Ignore the fact that it says uh, number three. That's not, it's still a second point, okay, guys? <laughs> That's why I was confused. I'm like, what the heck? All right. Oh, goodness. 
And so Israel and uh, the Philistines do the same, okay? They put God in a box, all right? And, it's, and it might not be so uh, obvious, but it's in very similar ways, all right? Israel take the Ark of the Covenant in chapter 4 as they were about to, you know, enter the battle against the Philistines, and they use the Ark of the Covenant for their benefit. But the Ark of the Covenant is treated like their own personal uh, trump card. Oh, yeah, we, okay, we're about to go to war. Oh, let's just bring out the Ark of the Covenant and wipe out these people, all right? That's how they view God, all right? In the same way, oh, my goodness. In the same way, that, oh, I'll bear with her, okay? In the same way, the Philistines do the same as well, right? The Philistines take the Ark of the Covenant and they, as a trophy, and they, they parade it back to Ashdod, right? In both ways, they're using the Ark of the Covenant. In both ways, they're using God. The Philistines are, uh, sorry, the Israelites are using God as a tool for self. But the Philistines are using, using the, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant, using God as a, as a trophy of recognition, right? And it's limiting the character of God down to a singular purpose. Right? And it doesn't go well for Israel, does it? It doesn't go well for the Philistines, Right? That's a stern warning for us. Don't limit God and do not use God. God is not to be used. Right? God is outside of our, our tool belts. Amen? Right? But think about that. Do you, like the Israelites, do you use God as a tool? Right? Do you, do you limit God to doing a singular purpose in your life? Maybe it's to, I don't know, maybe it's to feel better about yourself. Okay? Or maybe you use God as a way of social acceptance because you're part of a church. Yeah? In the same way. The Philistines use him as a trophy. Do you use God as a trophy? Right? A badge of honor. Right? Because you follow God, do you look at other people who don't follow God, right? non-believers, and you think to yourself, that makes me feel better about myself. Right? I have God. Both are dangerous, right? Both limit God and both are using God. All right, sweet, it's working, but not on my phone. Next slide, Jordan. <laughs> Sweet, and next slide, that's the second point. Sweet, and our third, third and final point. Look, really quick, aren't we? Yeah, really flying through this, amen. <laughs> Sweet, and the final point I have to make, guys, is Samuel, Samuel succeeds where Eli fails, right? And I have, I have on there a chart, which I'm looking at right now. Uh, Eli, in, in, in chapter four, he loses the Ark of the Covenant, right? Israel is unrepentant under Eli, and they are defeated in battle, right? And so they end up in this bleak, horrible scenario. Samuel here in chapter 6 and, uh, and 7, it's the opposite, isn't it? Right? He regains the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark has come back under Samuel, right? Israel is repentant under Samuel, right? And Israel conquers the Philistines. I mean, the writer of Samuel, it's just, this is deliberate. He's trying to demonstrate that Eli was not sufficient where Samuel was, yeah? And, uh, and there's this, this quote here in 1 Samuel uh, ch- uh, chapter 7, verse 12, where it says, Thus far the Lord has helped us. And this is, and this is interesting because it really demonstrates repentance. Because you remember how, how the Israel viewed God. They were, uh, he, he was, in, in a way, viewed as a tool, right? I'm going to bring him along to my battle, and it's going to work out. Yeah? Just give God, yeah, like a phone a friend. God will help out. Right? God's on, on, on speed dial. Right? But their attitude changes under Samuel. Right? Their attitude under Samuel now is, thus far the Lord has helped us. There's an assumption that maybe God won't be around next time. Maybe God won't be supporting us next time. 
Uh, we don't control, we don't have a limitation on God, right? Today, God's with us, but who knows what God will decide tomorrow, yeah? So it's, it's, a, huge, it's, it's, it's a huge amount of repentance, right? Their whole viewpoint on who God is changes and shifts, amen? And so, as, as I finish up here, my goodness, I flew through that sermon, Yikes, I feel like I should just go back and like redo some points. But yeah, I had some feedback from my previous one. Like, yeah, I got some thumbs up, some amens. Yeah, quick sermons, better than a long sermon. All right, sweet. All right, well, how about we, before we finish up, guys, uh, very shortly, let's just remember those three points. Like, God is sovereign. God is king. Yeah? His decisions are final. All right? He makes those decisions which we can't even possibly grasp. All right? And that leads into the second point. You can't fit God into your box. Our, our comprehension, okay, our limited human minds are not large or, or vast or, or intelligent enough to grasp, grasp God fully. It is, it, is the wrong, it is the wrong approach to try to put God into a box, yeah? And the third point is Samuel succeeds. So we need to look at the character of Samuel, who, who Samuel is. Right? Samuel was somebody who was completely focused on God. Eli was somebody who had weak eyes. And as I believe Sam uh, spoke about last week, you know, there's this comparison of uh, or this, I guess this point of reading the word, if you guys remember that, which is huge. Sam's, uh, Samuel is uh, engaging with God's word. Eli is not. Samuel is victorious. Eli is not. Yeah? So let's have a, a quick prayer. A prayer. Prayer. And, uh, and then we can uh, have some fellowship and a song. Amen? All right. Heavenly Father, Father Lord, I just want to thank you that, uh, yeah, well, we have you as a king, Lord. We, we have somebody who is completely outside of us who can, you know, who is not, is not affected by our circumstances in life, Lord. You are always the same, Lord. You are consistent. Uh, in our struggles and our hard times, Lord, you are victorious. I just want to thank you so much that we are, are able to worship a God like you, a God who is incomprehensible, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that we don't put you in a box. We don't use you like the Israelites and the Philistines, Lord, as a tool or as a, as a trophy. But I pray, Lord, we can just be fully submissive to you, Lord, that you can use us uh, as tools for your, your purpose, for your larger purpose. Uh, Heavenly Father, I just, I just want to thank you so much uh, that we can be here and we can just learn about who you are and that we can just take on some characteristics of Samuel, that we can really seek out your word and, uh, yeah, implement it into our lives. I pray this in your precious name. Amen.